The following recording is from the Parramatta Christian Church pulpit series. These sermons are freely available at pcc.org.au. It says this, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. That's worship language. Holy and pleasing to God. That's worship language. And Paul, the writer of this letter, he says, This is true worship. Reasonable worship. Legitimate worship. Sincere worship. Devoted worship. True worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. So I this morning to engage with this idea that, that worship is a journey deeper into Jesus, deeper into the life of Jesus, upward and onward, upward and inward into the life that Jesus offers us. And I, I owe a great debt um, of gratitude to my friend Peter, uh, Peter Curry. He's a Presbyterian pastor down a Wollongong way. And we were talking about worship and some of his thoughts and his thinking has really been helpful in, in shaping this message uh, for me this morning. And he talked about these four movements in worship that take us deeper into the life of Jesus. And he talked about how those movements parallel the Old Testament tabernacle or the temple and how each of those different parts of the temple represent these movements. So the first movement, which we see in this first statement that Paul makes here, therefore I urge you brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, it's kind of looking back at the previous 11 chapters. And this first movement is about appreciation. It's about thankfulness. And what is really significant about this, and this is radically different for the Christian, it is not our worship or our sacrifice or our offerings or our obedience that actually brings us to God. That's such a big difference. It is Jesus' worship. It is Jesus' sacrifice. It's what Jesus does on the cross. And that's what Paul begins to say. Therefore, in view of God's mercy, in view of all the things that I've already talked to you about. And in the first 11 chapters, what Paul does is talk about the universal human condition of being alienated from God, separated from God, lost, broken, in rebellion against God. And then he talks about the hope that Jesus offers through grace, which is unmerited, undeserved goodness and blessing on God's part, that God takes the initiative. And because of our faith in Jesus, that dividing gap has been bridged. And there's a reconciliation that's taken place in the, in the relationship. And God declares his people righteous. And it's already done. It's, it's Jesus' worship that brings us into the presence of God. It's Jesus' worship that allows us to come in to God. And that represents in, in, the, in the tabernacle and the temple the very fact that that temple and tabernacle even existed within the nation of Israel. The reason why that's so profound is that God said, I'm going to live among them before they've done anything. It was based on God's work of saving them out of Egypt, bringing them out of slavery, and making them His people. It was totally on the basis of God's grace and mercy that the tabernacle and the temple was even among the nation of Israel. Simple, rebellious people. So much so that Moses says to them, which other nation can make this claim that their God lives among them? 
the outer courts were a place where everyone had access and they could look and see the temple and they could see the tabernacle and say, God is among us. Isn't this amazing? What an act of God's grace and mercy to even live among sinful people. And so that's why Paul says, well, in view of God's grace, in view of his mercy, and the, the previous bit to the one I read, in the end of chapter 11, Paul breaks out into song when he reflects on what Jesus has done, when he reflects on what God has done in Jesus to save us and to rescue us. His response is to break out in song because this is something worth getting excited about. That sinful, broken, rebellious human can, can connect with a holy and righteous God because of what Jesus has done. What great news. And that's why I love water baptism. I love hearing people's testimonies and stories because it reminds me of what Jesus has done in my life and it provokes me to show appreciation and thankfulness for what God has done through being merciful to me in view of God's mercy. Which is why I love when we have communion together because again it reminds me that my ability to even come before a holy God is based on God's mercy. God's worship, Jesus' worship, brings me near to Him. The second thing that Paul goes on to say is, Therefore, in view of God's mercy, I urge you, I call on you, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. The second movement of worship takes us further in. Appreciation, thankfulness is where we start. But the next step is about adoration. It is about or Adoration is just a, a fancy word that means having utmost regard, respect, honor, and love for someone or something. It's kind of like if you were a, a, a kind of adoring teenage fan. You've heard that expression, adoring fan. And I don't know if you saw the news when Five Sauce came to Australia a little while ago. And the, the scenes of people, young girls particularly, lining up for hours and hours just to catch a glimpse of them. Or when um, Justin Bieber was in town and the screaming girls that were everywhere. You see lots of these things. <laughs> it's, it's just that, that heart palpitation, that excitement, because there's a sense of awe about this person. Adoration comes when there's a sense of awe. And, and, and our worship is meant to take us beyond what God does for me. See, if we stop at appreciation and thankfulness, we're still at the center of that. We're still saying, thank you, Jesus, for what you've done for me. Thank you, Jesus, for how you've saved me. Thank you, Jesus, for how you feel. That's wonderful. But Jesus calls us beyond that to focus on Him and who He is and recognize his awesomeness and his power and his majesty and his glory and his wonder. That's got to stir in our heart a different kind of response. And that's why Paul says, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. That, that represents the inner courts of the temple. Now when you get to the inner courts, there's blood there. That's where the sacrifices were made. There's smoke going up, there's, it's a mess, there's noise, there's lots of activity as, as things are slaughtered and there's animals bleeding and, and, and all kinds of things representing total surrender and sacrifice. And Paul uses the same idea to say, we don't have to do that anymore because Jesus has already done the animal part. He's brought us the very presence of God into the very throne room of God, Hebrews will tell us. But we are now called to present our bodies as a living sacrifice, as an act of adoration and of awe before God. The, uh, the, a great picture of this is in the book of Revelation, where we're given a glimpse into the heavenlies, and we, we're given a glimpse into the glory of God. And in chapter 4, we're told of all these elders and leaders and, and all these uh, angelic beings that get a glimpse of the throne of God. 
And they're so in awe of the wonder and the majesty and the power and the glory of God that they fall flat on their faces and they take off their crowns and they lay before him and say, we are not worthy. We lay everything down. You alone are worthy of everything. We give everything to you. It's about total surrender. We adore you. We are in awe of you and we give you everything. We sacrifice everything. It's kind of the difference between bacon and egg Christianity. Maybe you've heard this. You see, if you stay with appreciation and thankfulness, that's like the chicken that kind of brings your eggs of gratitude and thankfulness to Jesus and say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. That's wonderful. The eggs of appreciation. But the pig to produce bacon has to lay it all down. It's a total sacrifice. And that's what Jesus calls his people to. To move beyond being at the center and saying, God, I thank you for what you've done for me. Now I move closer to you and I'm in awe of you and I lay everything down before you. And that's why Jesus told these parables about this guy who is wandering through this field and he discovers this treasure of incredible wealth. And Jesus says he is so in awe of this treasure that he goes back and he sells everything he has just so he can get enough money to buy the field to get the treasure. And Jesus says, the kingdom of God is like that. I am like that. Are you in awe of me to the extent where you lay everything down? Where you lay down your body as a living sacrifice in adoration in awe of me? But see, if we just stay in adoration, we can worship God, but it'll be from a distance. God remains aloof and, and other and, and, and afar. And world religions and a lot of other religions, that's how they relate to God, as this majestic, awesome God that's to be feared and revered and, and adored, but, but kept at a distance. But the, the good news of the message of Jesus and what Jesus has done in, in his worship, in his death and his resurrection to forgive us our sins, he invites us to come closer, to come closer. And so in the, in the temple and in the tabernacle, there was this other room called the holy place and in that place there was a lamp that provided light and there was bread signifying a meal that speaks of affection of intimacy of relationship and, and god says don't just stand at a distance in adoration and in awe come closer come come in further come to this place of devotion in, in responding paul says present your bodies that are holy and pleasing See, we don't have to dread. We don't have to shrink back because of our sense of unworthiness. So we're so aware of God's holiness and our brokenness. We don't have to fear that because Jesus has forgiven us and cleansed us. And he can bring us near, the Bible says, into the very holy place, the holy of holies. And we can call him, listen to this, Father. Father. We call him Friend. And Jesus invites us to sit with him and to have fellowship, community, relationship, intimacy with him. He calls us beyond appreciation, beyond adoration, to a place of affection and delight. Where we're so captivated by all that Jesus has done for us. We're so in awe of him and who he is that we move to that next level of wanting to be intimate, to enjoy a meal. You know, one of the really challenging passages is in Matthew, Matthew, Matthew chapter 23 where Jesus is talking about Jerusalem and he's talking about how these people are so rebellious and resistant. And Jesus uses this beautiful image. He says, 
the father longs to gather his people like a, 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 a hen will gather its chicks under its wing. I long to, to bring you close and to bring you near and to have intimacy with you. And then Jesus goes on to say, but you were not willing. You were not willing. In Psalm 31, the psalmist paints this beautiful picture of the place that God invites us to, which is to snuggle into God as it were. To be like a weaned child, not needing things constantly from its mom, but a weaned child that sits at its mother's breast content, secure, safe, and in relationship. And God calls us to that next place, to journey inward and upward into the life of Jesus, which is about affection and delight and intimacy. And a beautiful picture of this is in, in Luke chapter, I think it's in chapter 23, if I'm not getting this wrong. But it's the story of the sinful woman that interrupts a dinner party that Jesus was at, where Jesus is sitting with a whole bunch of religious people and she gate crashes the party. And the Bible tells us that she was a sinful woman. She had a reputation which suggests that she was an immoral person. And the religious people were saying, if this guy, Jesus, is claims to be a prophet, then he would know what kind of woman this is. And he would certainly not let her touch him. But she comes in and, and the Bible tells us that she's crying and she's washing Jesus' feet and, and, and she uses her hair to, to wipe his feet and she's pouring out her affection and her delight. And the religious people there are reacting to that. And so Jesus asks them this question, he tells them this story and says, tell me, which, which person will love more? The one who has a bigger debt that's been cancelled or the one who has a smaller debt that's been cancelled? And they respond, obviously saying, well, obviously the one with the bigger debt. And Jesus says, that's why this woman is pouring out her affection on me. Because she knows the wonder of what it is to be forgiven and brought into relationship. And she is confident to come near, to approach Jesus, knowing who he is, knowing who she is, because she knows that she's forgiven. Jesus draws us closer and closer into himself. The last movement is in the... The, the second verse and the end of the first verse and the second verse in Romans 12 where Paul talks about this idea of this is true worship that word that's translated in our English Bibles as worship can also be translated as service this is our true service and at the heart of worship is this idea of devotion and service to God however that expresses itself and then Paul goes on to kind of spell that out in the second verse he says do not conform this last movement is about submission submission and we see this in the temple and the tabernacle in the place called the Holy of Holies. In the Holy of Holies, there was the Ark of the Covenant which contained the law of God. So as you move from the outside, you move from appreciation, you, you, you move into adoration, and then you move into affection and intimacy and relationship, and then you move into the holy place which is all about submission. But notice the order. Sometimes as humans we get it all back to front. We think that to come to God, we have to start with submission. We have to start with obedience. We have to start with doing all the right things. We have to start by keeping all the laws, keeping the Ten Commandments, doing all the things that God's told us to do. But the Christian message is actually the opposite. It says you can come to God because of what Jesus has done, what Jesus, his perfect life, his perfect sacrifice that redeems us and brings us to himself. And then we move through adoration and intimacy and relationship and our obedience and submission comes at the end of all of that. When we see how wonderful God is and how much he loves us and how much he delights in us and how much he longs for us to know the life that he offers and the life that we can have as we obey him. 
And so Paul says, do not conform to the pattern of this world. And this is a constant challenge. The world is opposed to the ways of God. And it wants to push us and pressure us into its mold. And Paul says, you need to resist that. And in Romans chapter 8, he gives us the encouragement to say, you don't have to do this on your own strength. God has given you His Holy Spirit. And He says, by the Spirit's power, you can put to death the deeds of the flesh. God doesn't say, okay, now that I've done all this, now you're on your own. Jesus says, no, He will give us a comforter who will live with us and in us to empower us to obey Him, to not conform to the pattern of this world. And he says, but be transformed. Now, Paul uses a passive word there, signifying that this is something that we surrender to and we participate with, not something we have to do. We can't transform ourselves. This is not just about a moral reform campaign. This is about an internal transformation reality that the Holy Spirit brings about. And again, in Romans 8, Paul alludes to this. He says that when the Holy Spirit comes into us and when we follow Jesus and we trust Jesus, He begins to change us from the inside out. When we set our minds on Him, when we follow Him, when we are obedient to His ways, change comes from the inside out. We are transformed. And so Paul says, in the final movement, as we submit, it's surrendering and submitting to the Holy Spirit's work in our life. And then he says, renew your mind. And then he spells out for the rest of the two or three chapters that follow how to practically live that out. And it's submitting to living that out in community. He uses plural words in that whole section to say to, together, we together as God's people, we encourage each other. We, we mutually support one another as we live out our faithfulness to God. And we, the way we relate to each other, the way we love each other, the way we use our gifts, the way we relate to our governments, the way we interact when people are, uh, do evil to us, and all of that, and the forgiveness that ought to count to us our life flows out of our submitting to God's ways of living, of being transformed from the inside and renewing our mind in Jesus. So I want you to take a moment to reflect on that and ask yourself, where are you at in your worship journey?